Welcome to the Data Cafe. I'm Jason. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about data science for good. Ah, okay, cool. So what is data science for good, Jeremy? So this really comes from... Uh, you know, where we find ourselves today, I think, and has become quite a, a movement in recent years, but especially around the pandemic, of course. Yeah. And uh, we've seen lots of initiatives, lots of events spun up by people trying to use data, trying to get value from data, and then trying to use data science, of course, to generate some level of social beneficial outcome, yeah. uh, some good in society. A, a real noble cause then where we've got so much data and we've got experts out there and a lot of the data science that we tend to do or talk about and the applications usually have an industrial application or commercial application. But we're talking here about a more charitable cause or a more um, hmm. noble cause where you're giving back somehow. Yeah, a moral cause, I think. Absolutely. I, I think one where you're not, you're not doing it necessarily for your job. Uh, although that can be, of course, have, have a moral dimension as well. No reason why. Sure. Yeah. But, but, but you, you, for this one, maybe you're coming together possibly with people you haven't met before or, you know, aren't in your normal sort of so, uh, social or, or, or work team and you're, uh, developing a product, uh, using some publicly available data sources, maybe to to generate something you know interesting and hopefully impactful. Yeah, impactful actually is is the real word, right? It's uh, mm. it's got some impact and some use for somebody out there who maybe can't afford to buy it, but it's of impact of use. Yeah, which is great, right? And there's loads of cases out there. So I, one of the ones that I became aware of quite early on in the pandemic last year was a couple of projects that were spun up by the Royal Society in, in the UK, okay. um, who are a scientific organisation. And they they started two projects, the, the RAMP project and the DELVE project, which were great acronyms. So hat tip to them for that. Yeah. Um, They're two different projects? Yes. Yeah. Related. So what, RAMP stands for Rapid Assistance in Modelling the Pandemic and Delve was data evaluation and learning for viral epidemics. So one was more data focused, the other was more modeling focused. But I mean, both arguably are sort of data science projects at some, yeah. some level. And they brought together totally disparate sets of academics, organizations, companies, charities, and, uh, you know, tried to get some operating insight from data that they, they were able to get hold of, you know, sometimes from government, sometimes from publicly available sources yeah you know i mean ramp had a, had a, a mission to try to get out of lockdown you know more quickly right what is our exit strategy yeah yeah and we can see why that's of such strong impact and yeah two two lockdowns later <laughs> yes yeah and it's amazing even when you said it there of using publicly available data how much publicly available data there is and how many opportunities there are for any of us with skills or interests or curiosity to take some of the publicly available data and use it and go in with that question, what impact can I make? I think so. You see data sets that come out of government and sort of open data initiatives that are supported by local government, central government, 
as well, you've got news organisations then, you know, sourcing their own data and then putting them on the website. And often they're in, you know, very eminently scrapable form and, you know, can then be picked up and you yeah. know, people can start use them to spot patterns, start to make deductions around these areas. Yeah. Exactly. So you were involved with a, a charity hackathon, weren't you, Jason, a, a couple of years ago? Do you want to yeah. tell us something about that? Well, we had an initiative to bring together the team in a hackathon but for a social good impact mm. and it was with missing people charity came in and worked with us and you know they had um cleansed and anonymized data and we looked at how we can apply some nice statistical methods to segment certain risk factors for where they might put their efforts in targeting risk groups who you know may go missing or Right. You know, the missing is kind of the umbrella term for any reason that somebody disappears yeah. for their own reasons or because they've been forced to go into hiding or, or whatever it might be. Did you feel then it was a different sort of team working experience then working on this project for for missing people? Yeah. Over other experiences of doing data science in a, in a company setting? There is an element of... Um, yeah, collaboration and camaraderie that just gets kind of emphasized when you're working on something that everybody is inspired a little bit by hmm. um, and has some um, passion or a drive to make sure that it's as impactful as it can be Yeah, because you know that there's a, a feel-good factor as well as a, a product to deliver that you've kind of promised, you've said you want to do this so you really put your heart and uh, hard work into it yeah and we're lucky enough today to be talking to some people who participated in in one such project for an organization called the emergence alliance which was set up by rolls royce and google and and organizations i think there's 50 uh, organizations involved in this alliance now and they, this was an organisation that was set up to try and address challenges uh, surrounding the pandemic, not just yeah. in the teeth of it, but also how, how on earth you recover from it. And I think that's where they really, really put their efforts in, in trying to drive the use of data to, to help people recover. So we were lucky enough to speak to Erica and Rajwinda and Dahaya, who were contributors to one of these projects. I'm joined in the Data Cafe today by three people I'm very excited to be talking to, Erica Gravina, Rajwinda Atoy, and Dahaya Senaniaka. Uh, welcome. Welcome to the Data Cafe. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for having us. Hello. Good. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. So I'm particularly excited to be talking to you today about um, a project you've just coming to the end of and one that I think I think will chime with the listeners quite a lot, which is, it's a project to do with sort of social good and around the pandemic. So um, Erica, could you just give us a sort of overview of the project and what, what you're hoping to achieve with that? Sure. So we got onboarded onto the project around September uh, 2020. And the project for us started off as being about thinking of ways that we can help people think about the job market in the way that isn't as fixed and stationary as maybe the way that they can think about it now. And what I mean by that is that due to the pandemic, of course, there has been a lot of unemployment. And what we were trying to achieve was to 
try and think about the uh, the industries within the job market and in a, in a way that was more flexible and to then allow job applicants to move across industries more uh, fluently. And in order to do so, we focused on a representation of jobs that wasn't just to do with kind of the, the structure of a job description, but to think in terms of uh, skill sets. And I suppose that's kind of the overarching story of the whole project. Brilliant. So let's let's take each of you in turn. So, so Raj, how did you how did you get involved in this in, in in the first place? What was the sort of your your pathway into the team then before the project? So our team came about. We took part in the Code First Girls Data Hackathon back in September. It was a week long, and we were analysing some data based on the economic and environmental impact of the pandemic. And thankfully, we ended up winning and our prize was to join <laughs> this project. But before that, I had taken a Code First Girls Python course. And when it was recommended, I applied and here we are. Brilliant. To hire, was this a, a, a team that you got together before that initial uh, project or was that was it was, was the team put together on day one to tackle the first challenge no the team was put together on day one basically so I didn't know Eric or Raj yeah we didn't know each other beforehand um, which it doesn't feel like we didn't because I think we've become we've become actually quite good friends over the course of working on that challenge but also doing like the read project um yeah, I think Erica messaged us and just said, I'll be your team leader for the challenge. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Would you like to share yeah, any of your like hobbies or anything? And I think we all found that we all quite like to cook and eat and things. So we bonded over that. But And then eventually over coding. But <laughs> yeah, it's been really good. Raj, you, you talk about coding experience. How much coding experience did, did you have to hire before you, before you started this? Was this new to you or was this something you'd done a little bit of before or a lot of? Yeah, it was really new to me. So like Raj, I'd done one of the Code First Girls courses in Python, um, but that was my only experience in Python beforehand. Um, so kind of thrown in a little bit at the deep end, but <laughs> I've had really supportive people around to help me when needed. So it's been good. And Erica, what about yourself? Yeah, it was a real roller coaster for me as well. Uh, it was definitely kind of a new environment and um, I had been selected to be team leader and I did put myself forward for it, not thinking that I was actually going to get the position. So I think it was definitely kind of an interesting start to the project, like focusing on getting the group to get to know each other and actually like enjoying having many calls and discussing both the problem and our personal lives. So I think, you know, looking back, I'm really happy that uh, we focused on the social aspect of it as well, because it made the whole experience a lot more fun. And in terms of coding experience. I had some experience through university, but I never did an official course of any kind and not through CFG. That was my first experience being involved with CFG. And then in this project, you joined a sort of loose collection of teams that formed part of what's called, I think, the Emergent Alliance. And you were asked to tackle this really super relevant, interesting problem around jobs you know, finding jobs in a pandemic. So, so Raj, how did you how did you sort of go about doing this? I think right at the start, we had a couple of meetings with the wider team, kind of 
thinking about what the aim was of the project because of course lots of people had lost their jobs unfortunately and there was a lot of push to get people to kind of use their skills that apply to jobs that were currently in demand and that's what they were kind of focusing on from the company's perspective that they wanted people to be applying to things that they had the skills for maybe they hadn't thought of applying to them but those were currently in demand so they would have the opportunity to go to those so it wasn't jobs that they would might might have done previously necessarily it could have been roles that that matched their skill set but weren't weren't ones they might have considered before is that right yeah so i think there was a lot of discussion about how the current applying to jobs process doesn't really take into account your skills necessarily you're kind of just looking for a job title and applying to those however we kind of want something that focuses on people picking out their skills their best skills and kind of searching through those and I think that was what kind of came out of those design thinking workshops we had at the start. So to in in tackling the problem then what sort of avenues did you did you go down you've got this slightly not slightly this this really interesting approach of not doing a sort of traditional CV scan I guess on an individual applicant what was the pipeline almost for, for, for how you how you thought you might tackle this initially? So we first kind of looked down the avenue of having kind of sets of skills and those were related to a certain job title. And then we looked at how we can match skills that are kind of a user enters um, into the skills related to each of those job titles. So you could have skills that vary across many industries, but and that's kind of like the whole aim of the project. So as kind of Raj has mentioned, is to try and see where maybe the gaps are that you haven't thought of. And yeah, so in order to do that, we, we went down kind of the matching route. Um, I, I don't know how technical to go, but we kind of created matrices of um, the skills and job titles and we, we matched those together. Um, and it was really interesting for me. I, I had, I've never worked with natural language programming like NLP before so that was new and you know tokenizing and stemming and kind of the differences between lemmatization and stemmers and we had quite a few interesting conversations about the benefits of both of those and then we ended up looking towards kind of creating a network or a cluster of job titles and yeah that's kind of where we got up to but I think I might pass over to Erica to talk about the network of job titles and clustering because she she focused on that. Yeah, um, I think everything that the higher said is essentially kind of the the groundwork that went into it. And I think that without everything that happened in the beginning, in the first part of the MVP, the network approach wouldn't have come out of it. I think there was definitely a lot of interesting work and thought, like thinking out loud, like during discussions with the team about what parts of the process were working and what wasn't working. And I think a lot of it came down to the data that we had available. Um, I think we had an idea of what data we were going to get. And then the more we were looking into the data we actually had on hand, uh, we realized that 
what we initially set ourselves out to do wasn't going to work as well as we thought it was. So I think, yeah, it's definitely interesting, you know, for whomever might be interested, instead of having a corpus of uh, like kind of a job description and a job title, we had very specific, almost like, you know, single string inputs with just a few words within it that were representative of the skill sets, so as the skill strings, I suppose, and those were connected to job titles. But it was a very different format than the way that one could think about the kind of job search and the job data around it. So when we actually ended up looking into the network approach, that was a way of trying to extract as much information as possible from the data that we had. So it was a very, very data specific approach. And it was very interesting. It kind of led to this idea of being able to think about job titles with respect to their sets of skills and use the sets of skills to create connections between the job titles. And these percentage matches across job titles were created by looking at the sets of skills. So mm. it was a very back and, f- back and forth approach between the two elements, I suppose. And this is kind of where the network came out. I think I think that's amazing. Uh, the idea that you're not doing something fairly traditional around this. You're not doing a sort of search for a particular title because that's that's exactly what people would have done previously. You're trying to encode the sort of serendipitous nature of discovering a job that you are qualified for, but you didn't know you were qualified for before you started searching. So, so Raj, how how did that play out? What's the user journey sort of look like for for, for that? So we got to the approach where a user would input their skills that they think they have, but we also wanted to be able to include skills that maybe they hadn't directly mentioned but were related to to the skills they inputted because I think people can undersell themselves and maybe not be completely specific about all the skills they have so let's say yeah let's say they they're collaborative but they're also good at working in groups and such so we wanted to be able to kind of have as many skills as possible to search across so I think one of the more useful ways to do that was we've kind of used job titles that were exactly the same Mm. and group together their skills so you would assume that if the job title is the same the kind of skills you'd need for them were also the same but if they were written in say a different manner or use different wordings you'd be able to capture that by aggregating those together and think we wanted to be able to match as many people to the correct jobs as we could I see. So the process was one of learning from this sort of collection of jobs and their associated skills as to what those likely patterns would be, not for one job, but for many jobs of hopefully a similar type. But you inter- interesting, you mentioned that there was a concern over how people might describe themselves when they're giving them, they're entering their skills. And I understand you were working on some of the, the bias elements in there. Is there a was there a concern that that there might be a bias in even at the very start of that process, how, how someone might describe their own skill set? 
Yeah, so you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. So that's where we ended up seeing where the, I guess, majority of bias could come from. So if I describe myself as, um, say, self-assured, um, but maybe not confident, those two skills are quite similar, but maybe one would be captured more than the other. And that's so we did a bit of investigation into bias in the data set. And it's interestingly, there was a significant amount of bias in a sense of we used a list of masculine words and a list of feminine words. And we we explored the data set for the occurrences of each of those words. And the occurrences of those words was reasonably high. So it was something that we wanted. We were happy that we investigated just to be aware of the levels of bias in the data set, but also um, we kind of thought about what we can do to reduce the bias, the effect of the bias even on the user. And one of the main things that's good about the tool is that it kind of captures these additional skills in the process, which could reduce the level of bias associated with someone inputting certain skills that may not be written in the job descriptions themselves. So Erica, what would you say then for, for the team and for yourself personally, maybe, was what would you say was the biggest challenge in the project? I think there were a lot of ideas at all times um, <laughs> because there were so many discussions with wider teams and people having a lot of inputs. And it was really hard, I think, to start to try and narrow down what was feasible and what wasn't feasible, at least for the sake of this first sprint and I think that was definitely challenging from my perspective because I was always used to maybe working uh, at university or with much smaller teams so the influx of ideas was definitely more manageable but it was a real challenge and I think we did a great job at keeping having lots of calls and discussions and thinking out loud with what we thought could have been the best approach forward in the time like limited amount of time that we had and that was a real new type of difficulty. And I think we did a really good job with it. That's nice. So I, I'm going to have finish with the same question to each of you. And it was, if you could give advice to somebody who was maybe in the person in your shoes sort of six months ago, wanting to get into coding, wanting to get into data science particularly, what, what advice would you give them? Oh, I think the best way is to kind of get stuck in. You can't with like stuff like this you just gotta try something there's lots of um resources online um such as i know kaggle is a really good data science way to get started and just with data science it's always a good start to start with asking a question figuring out how to answer that question where, where you could get data for that question whether there's stuff already out there and i think also, I'd like to plug Codeverse Girls and it's a great opportunity for girls to get involved in learning Python and SQL. And I know me and um, Dahaya both took part and it's a really good opportunity to do so. Great. So Dahaya, what about yourself? What, what, what advice would you give? I think I completely echo what Raj has just said. Definitely, if you're... Um looking to get started code first girls is a great opportunity to do so. I think also what I would add is trying to build a little bit of a network with maybe other people who are learning, because for me, it's been really helpful to have people to 
ask questions too, but also talk through like problems. And I think you just learn so much from talking to other people as well. So yeah, that'd be my one bit of advice for people getting into coding. Brilliant. Erica? Aside from the brilliant answers that already came through, uh, I did have one more thing to add, I think personally, is to not be too afraid of not knowing. Don't be afraid to ask the questions, uh, any questions about anything that you might be stuck on. And just don't be afraid to, you know, think a bit out of the box, because I think especially for data science, it's such a great tool to try things out in a very like nice and, you know, simple way. Just keep the problem simple in your head and play around with it. That's, that's great advice. I love that. <laughs> that's been fantastic. I think I believe the tool's gone live, so we will put a link to the uh, the live job search tool in in the show notes, and uh, and people can have a play with that and see 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 what you've you've had a go at. So uh, I think that's been a really nice discussion. I'd like to thank all of you, uh, Dahaya, Erica, Raj. Thank you very much for for joining us today in the Data Cafe. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. The product that they've built really um, inspires me because they've straight away thought about um, job application process and searching for jobs in a way I've never heard of before, which is really uh, cool, like uh, really innovative. Like, what is my skill set? And now I will use that to go and find a job where every you know approach certainly that i've done is i want to be a and insert <laughs> blank here right and now i go and read what a is by other people's definitions and try and almost sandwich what i think my skill set is into what yes. has been presented in a job description yeah i should declare an interest myself because i was involved with this project and working with erica and dahaya and raj was really exciting and was enormous fun and i think they've done a lovely job with this and the fact that they were thinking about it in a you know i think erica said in in, in a flexible way to allow people to you know move between jobs that they might genuinely be totally skilled for totally you know, they may need they may need no extra training to do or maybe a tiny bit of extra training or education to do, you know, yeah. everyone does online courses these days. So that's certainly well within people's capability. And I think, I think thinking of the problem in a different way gives you so much more flexibility to really sort of start again with a tool like that and to go, right, well, if we're going to think of it in those terms, if we're yeah. going to, if we're going to start with skills and we're going to look at how jobs define themselves by those skills, then we can make some really interesting assertions and suggestions and give give people hopefully some really useful ideas for what they might otherwise have not considered and have not thought about exactly doing. yeah and how you lay out those skills means uh, it's not so much about the job title but that's always a starting point and another um, point they said that was really interesting to me was this difficulty in self-evaluating so yes. how do I know what skills I have? Because I'm very biased. <laughs> I am, you know, purely living my life in whatever skill set I have and what is my norm means I'm not necessarily calling out what is a skill because it's just a normal behavior to me, um, learned or otherwise, and what is something that I want to apply in a job 
you know, so a very clear like distinction would be having um, confidence in public speaking can be learned or some people are naturally good at it versus having the ability to code and code in a certain language and code in a certain framework. And that has to be learned. Um, I don't know many people who are just, you know, a prodigy away, straight away at coding. Yeah, yeah. They set themselves a genuinely challenging task here because they first came to realize that jobs aren't described even in the title in the same way and skills aren't described by everybody in the same way. Yeah. So someone might say it's communication skills, someone might call it presentation skills. You know, so, so yeah. there's lots there's lots of ways of talking about these uh, skills and then and jobs as well. And then and then you what you said, absolutely true. Then you've you've got to somehow marry that up to the way that an individual applicant might describe themselves and um they talked and, about all that bias didn't they right right and then you've got that that difficulty of your own your own sort of preconceptions about your own skills be that ambitious or uh, unambitious really and i think that you know all of these create considerable challenges for a project like that and there's lots of hurdles at which you could fall early on trying to tackle that problem and trying to trying to make it you know, all connect together when you've got so many disparities. There, you know, there is no common lexicon. Yeah. There is no taxonomy that's officially used. I think they've they've done themselves proud with this kind of project. Yeah, and even when you said there that there's such, such a challenge in like the lexicon, and then they were applying natural language, you know, processing and programming mm. techniques, and <laughs> I mean, try and turn what's so difficult you know, with the human biases involved and the various data sets out there into logic that can be modeled and trained and applied in a certain way is such a challenge. So yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably do another episode on, on bias because it's such a yeah. hot topic and, and, and one that uh, one that deserves really close sort of investigation. But there, I mean, there's just a couple of instances in their project, I think, that, that they had to tackle. One was the bias, as we said, from the individual who was describing their own skills. And another would be the bias of the person writing the job specification saying, well, I'm in my mind's eye, I'm seeing someone who has these skills. When, of course, in their mind's eye, they might be seeing someone who was maybe a man, maybe in their mid-30s, maybe, you know, all of that kind of thing going on. They wouldn't put that down, but, yeah. but, but that's exactly... Yeah. Put scientist in the title and they're wearing a white coat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so I, th- I think, you know, there's a lot to get your teeth into if, if you're engaging in, in this kind of project. And I, show, I think it shows that AI for good and data science for good, it doesn't mean it's a, um, a straightforward problem. In fact, actually quite the opposite. Yeah. The data is not necessarily there, or if it, it can be in a very poor state sometimes, and it can mean that you, uh, you know, you don't have recourse to going back to the person who gathered it and saying, well, can you do it better? Or can you do it differently? Or can you give us another data set which shows us this? Because that just may not exist. You literally have to work with what you have and try and get something from it. Um, so, you, you know, you have to be quite careful and quite sort of disciplined with yourself. But but I think, you know, these are really quite tough data science challenges. Yeah, and we can see how it will get more attention as the, you know, prototype is out there and people start using it and start thinking in this way. You know, that entrepreneurial shift in mindset of what is it that we can build and use. And it's built on people's experience. You know, they talked about 
the pandemic driving a need for something like this because I need to understand what my skill set is to match with what the needs are in whoever I'm looking to hire me, mm. you know, whether they know it or not, they they may not have classified it right. It's a really, really great initiative. And also it does throw together people who would otherwise never have have, have worked together um, and never have met under any other circumstances. So it it is it, it does create these nice serendipitous yeah. cross network matches that you would never you, you would never otherwise have entertained or made happen. This is great because I love hearing about the bringing together of different initiatives like this. So, you know, I'm wondering if somebody hears about this for the first time, how can they get involved? Oh, I mean, lots of lots of ways. There's, there's hackathons going on as part of data science drives uh, all over the world. So I'd encourage you to, you know, have a look online and, and you know, don't be afraid to, to have a go, really. You don't have to be a uh, massively experienced data scientist in fact quite the opposite you need you just need to have some good ideas and some willingness to contribute and give give a, give your time and uh, you know a bit of technical skill maybe to to just help bring a team of people together and when i've talked to people about about this it, if it hasn't worked it's always because there wasn't there wasn't quite enough time to do stuff and i so i think you know yeah. just 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 having a set of people with a common goal who are prepared to give you know whether it's a day or half a day or a, or a week or wherever it long, long, however long it lasts for but just be prepared to give that time so i mean if you're a woman and you you're looking to get into this and you've never coded before like you know that they they mentioned it in the interview then code first girls in the uk is a fantastic organization that helps women get into yeah. coding and data science now i see is very much on their um their radar so i think i i wholly encourage people to 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 look at that but there's loads of boot camps um and organizations who run sort of quick start courses on this sort of thing and which would enable you to get into this yeah, really trying to reach out and build that network as part of the advice that they gave, um, which is really key. Just just reach out. It seems like nowadays as well, there's a lot of um, access online. So you don't even need to be situated in a tech hub, you know, like being in the centre of London, for example. You can be anywhere and get involved across virtual events, which is another kind of one of the side effects of the pandemic is we've seen this um, increasing accessibility to things like this. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. I don't think Erica Raj and Tahir had ever actually met in person. Wow, well, yeah. I think, I think they've only ever met over... Zoom or whatever. So, so God, it makes it all more challenging yeah. as well when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. But as Dehaya said, you know, you, you you learn so much from talking talking with people you uh, maybe from different backgrounds you haven't met before. They're not in your network, um, and then suddenly you're thrown together. And I thought that was a really nice way of sort of demonstrating the the power of these uh, you know social events and social hackathons and you know data science for good in general. So that was, I think that was a really nice part of their, their story. But the thing that stood out for me, I think, I think it applies just as much in, in, in data science in industry, just as it does apply in, in, in this setting, which is Erica at the end said her piece of advice was that she, you shouldn't be afraid of not knowing and, and you shouldn't be afraid of, of asking questions. And I think that's terrific advice for any aspiring data scientist. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for joining us today at the Data Cafe. You can like and review this on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Or if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us, jason at datacafe.uk or jeremy at datacafe.uk or on Twitter at datacafepodcast. We'd love to hear your suggestions for future episodes.